So you've been in the uh, music industry over 20-plus years. Yes, how, sir. How did Jam Master Jay and Russell Simmons become your mentors, and how did they help you impact your career in a positive way? I mean, to be honest with you, you know, I grew up in Queens with Run DMC and Jam Master Jay. Russell's a little bit older. Um, you know, Jay gave me an opportunity just to be around, and he told me to take advantage of him in a good way and just, you know, meet people and follow my dreams. Um, you know, I used to go to Def Jam and Rush Management back in the days, and I would just listen and learn, and I would just watch Russell, watch Leo Cohen, and, you know, that's why I feel like Russell Simmons is my mentor. You know, I just listened back then. Um, and as years went on, obviously, you see Russell grow and grow and grow and grow, and you just, you know, you admire people like that, and you um, watch what he does, and then you, you know, read his books. And then, you know, I, I just recently went to see him last week for advice. He's a mentor. Jam Master Jay was more of a friend and someone that pushed me, um, including Run and DMC. You know, I miss Jam Master Jay dearly. Um, he just celebrated, you know, his life 11 years. And um just gave me opportunities, and opportunities only knock once, and I just ran with it. Yeah. Um, do you think that everyone needs a mentor uh, in the music industry, especially in today's environment? I think in the world and in life, Every day, everybody needs a mentor. Um, I feel like if you're uh, a journalist, you know, your father could be your mentor, someone that has, you know, had so much success as a journalist, um, a basketball player, um, anything. Anybody needs a mentor or a big brother or someone to talk to. You know, I looked at my dad as a mentor, but he wasn't around so much. He worked a lot, but the mentorship from him was, Go out there and work and, you know, work hard for what you want and you shall receive. Uh, but I feel like everybody should have a mentor. I do a lot of motivational speaking in schools and I ask people, like, who's your mentor? Do you have a mentor? And unfortunately, a lot of kids don't even know what a mentor is. So I feel like if you don't know what a mentor is, learn what a mentor is, and everybody should definitely have a mentor. I feel like it is a challenge, though, in the music industry to get someone to help you out in an apprenticeship and get a mentor. So... It kind of can be uh, tough sometimes, though. I mean, a mentorship doesn't have to help you out. You just have someone that you look up to and you study and you want to be like, so to speak. That's what a mentor is to me. Um, I'm a type of guy I don't take no for an answer. So anybody out there trying to get in any business, they, they, they can't take no for an answer and they, they can never give up. You know, I never gave up, and I still don't give up. I still don't take no for an answer. Um, so on to NWA, how was working and having a friendship with Easy E? Any memorable tunnel stories that come to mind? I mean, to be honest with you, you know, I looked at Easy E as like a businessman um, more than anything. Um, you know, I got to you know know MC Ren. Um, I got to meet Dre later on. Um, I knew Yella, um, but at the end of the day, you know, everything was really with Easy E because at that time I was working at Relativity Records, which was through Sony. And we had a distribution deal with Rufus Records, and at that time he had the Afghan Clan and Bloods of Abraham, this white white kid group. Um, and he, you know, he had obviously NWA and his solo stuff. But um, he was just a businessman, and he had no time for games. Um, he came to New York and brought Bone Thugs when he signed them uh, to meet everybody. And to be totally honest with you, we had gone to the Tunnel, which was a hot club. Funkmaster Flex was the DJ back then. And um, it was freezing out, but we took Bone there. We ran to Mac-10, Ice Cube, LL Cool J. That's when Easy had beef with everybody. He had his two Samoan bodyguards with him. But 
you know, he's like, it's all good. They spoke. I really don't know what they really spoke about because I wasn't, I wasn't right in the conversation. And then um, he said he was going to walk back to the hotel later on because a lot of people come to New York like to see New York and don't get in the limousine. I never saw him again. You know, he caught pneumonia and he passed away. You know, me and Mac-10 talk about this because Mac-10's like, I wasn't even Mac-10 at the time. I was just there with Ice Cube. So that's just, that's that's my last memory of Easy. That's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. And Bone, Bone, they were 16, 17, 18 years old, and we had him in New York for the first time in the club, you know? That's wild. And Easy e and Ice Cube didn't get along at that time, right? At that time, no, nah, not at all. And I don't even think Easy was getting along with LL Cool J either. That's sad. I think Dr. Dre went in the hospital and saw Easy e but he just passed. He just missed Yeah, him. a lot of people went because they felt bad because they had differences or they haven't spoken so long and they just saw them laying there and they couldn't say what they really felt. So I think that a lot of people have some regrets about, you know, not, you know, mending the relationship. You know, people go in in life and they, they don't talk to someone or they get into an argument with someone and they stop talking to them for years and they pass away and they regret it. And that's why if I ever have a problem with someone, I like to talk about it, clear the air because I don't have no regrets. I got a regret with my mom because... Every time she told me to come back home for a holiday, me living in L.A. and her living in New York, be, me being from New York, I, I, I can't make it, I can't make it. And then when she passed, I, I woke up and realized, like, fuck, I wish I, I, I went back to do all those type of things. So now when I go visit in the cemetery, I tell her my regrets, but it's too late. So all you can do is learn from those lessons, you know? Yeah, I, I was uh, listening to I, I like that when you talked about that with Jack Thriller. I was researching. Yeah. So was dope. Yeah. You may Jack- have... Jack was impressed with that and touched him, and I got a lot of great feedback The people that really listened to it and wanted to hear real knowledge and real business and real family and real stuff from the heart. A lot of people do interviews, and they just talk about what they got or what they're doing. I like, yeah. to, I like to talk about real shit. Yeah, it was cool. I liked it. I, I liked that interview. I appreciate that. Managed Bone Thugs and Harmony for quite some time. How was the studio vibe when Biggie came through for the collaboration of uh, Let's Ride, Notorious Thugs? I mean, you know, I call Bone and Biggie Notorious Thugs. I mean... I mean, I've been bone. I've been with down with bone for 20 years. We had our roller coasters, our ups and downs. You know, a couple of times we, you know, departed from each other, but you know, we're still together. We just sold out the forum, like 20,000 people, where the Lakers used to play. They haven't had a rap concert in 10 years. But how that went down was, Fat Joe had called me, and I was in a hotel room in Santa Monica in the Ramada, I think. And I think we were shooting a video for something, or we were planning something for something with Mo Thugs, um, you know, Bone Thugs' label. And he called me, he's like, Puff's going to call you. Or or he's like, you know, can Puff call you? I don't know the exact. And then uh, Puff called. And he's like, look, Biggie's in the record plane, wants to do a song with Bone. And I was like, all right, let me round these guys up. At that, point, at that time, they were young and wild. And I called everybody, got them to the studio, and, you know, they came with their crews. And uh, Biggie had boxes of champagne and Hennessy and weed. And they came in, they did the song, Stevie J., you know, who's a major producer. Unfortunately, the new generation just knows him from Love and Hip Hop. But, you know, Stevie J produced that record with Puffy, and Little C's was there, and D-Rock was there. And um, it was amazing. You know, Wishbone wasn't there, and he was the one who had the relationship with Biggie. I put him on the phone with Biggie at the time, but he couldn't make it. He was in Cleveland. Flesh was in the studio, but he didn't get on the record. And then Bone knocked out the record in about an hour. And then Biggie didn't do his verse, and then he passed away. And I rounded Puff, and Puff, Puff told me that... uh you know, Big wants to take the record back to New York and um, master it and just go in and kill it. And then when we heard it, we're like, wow. If it didn't pass, obviously, we had a video and stuff. And New York really embraced Bone after that. 
um, you know, it's crazy because Bone Guy Records is a big pun and um, Easy and Tupac and, you know, uh, Jam Master Jay mentored them after Easy died. So, like, all these people came to life and helped them and, and, and they all passed away. You know, legends. It wasn't like, oh, MP, MP3 the record or send the records. Everybody did it with them right then and there, you know? Busy killed that verse. I saw an old picture of the studio session with uh, the crews in the room. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a lot of those pictures. Uh, Busy did his verse, I believe, in like 30 minutes. Crazy. Yeah, it was crazy, crazy. That's one of Busy's best. Is there any video footage of that? Yeah, someone had it, and I was always trying to get it. But um, I think Puff has it, or maybe if he did have it, he'd put it out by now. So I don't know, this guy named Brian Perry was in there. And he had a camera crew. They were filming for something. I have pictures of the camera crews, and um, I gotta reach out because that's like back then we didn't have Instagram and social media, and everybody had phones that you could film. No, that wasn't happening. We had real flip phones back then, and we had big camera crews. So I would love to see that footage because I have pictures of the camera crew. And like I said, I think Crazy Lazy Biggie and Busy murdered that, killed it. You know, Stevie J killed it. You know. Yeah, how does it feel to be the only white person in the room a lot of the time? Like, does that even fade you? <laughs> You know, you know. I would say in the past I was. Um, now more so, it's not like that. But I mean, I'm just me. You know, I live off respect. Everybody respects me because I'm a grown man at the end of the day. And got nothing to do with who I know, where I'm from. You're going to respect me. I'm a grown man. It's like going to county jail. You got to be a man. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, you know, I, I say the N word. I grew up on it. Russell, yeah. Simmons, Russell Simmons recently did an interview with Power 105's Breakfast Club. And he's like, Yo, you guys know Steve LaBelle? And they're like, yeah. He's like, oh, I was driving in L.A. Steve was driving in L.A. He was in his convertible Mercedes. I was in my car. I seen him. He said, yo, what up, my nigga? I said, yo, what up, my nigga? And just kept it moving. He's like, Steve LaBelle could say that. Like, So, you know, it, 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 it's weird. But at the end of the day, like, you know, nine, nine out of ten times I might be the only white guy around. But at the end of the day, I don't, I don't look at people as color or race or religion. I, w- I wasn't raised like that. My mother didn't teach me that. My mother let me hang out with blacks and Spanish and all types of people that come to my house. So yeah. I don't look at that. I'm just, I'm just me. Yeah, yeah, I know. I thought it was funny when you were talking about that with Peter Rosenberg, and I, I loved it. And uh, when black people, they, they say that to me, like, what's up, my? I just say, what up, my hitter? Or it's just something funny because, I don't know, I feel weird saying it because Eminem doesn't say it in his rap, so I'm like, why should I? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, I don't know. I don't think Eminem grew up like me. You know, yeah. at the end of the day, it's like how you were brought up and how you grew up and and embraced. So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, um, I don't know. Like, people have to understand and accept it. You know, like, what I don't like is some young little white boys, 15, 16, 17, saying the N-word, got their pants off their ass, wearing skinny jeans because it's a fad, fake gold chain, hat backwards. And I ask them who their mentor is or who their favorite rapper is, and they'll say somebody, and I'm like, you don't know MC Search from Third Base or the Beastie Boys? I'm like, no. I'm like, well, hip-hop don't know you. That's disgusting, you know? That's yeah. when I when I get upset, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. That's funny. But, um, so, and let's talk about uh, Fat Joe and Big Pun, how uh, the time you spent in the band with them and how you only had $50 of food. <laughs> you know, you look, man, I feel like Fat Joe is one of the realest guys, you know, not even in the music industry, just in life. Just a great, 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 great guy. Um, I introduced him to his wife. A lot of people know it. A lot of people don't know it. Lorena. Um, me and Joe been through a lot, you know, when Joe didn't have anything. And, you know, Joe would never fly. And, you know, Pun was his hype man. Um, you know, and Joe had a you know, little crew. And we used to, uh, you know, he was signing Relativity back then. And I was like the retail promotions guy. And I had to go on the road with them. And we'd get in vans. And we'd go to Massapequa, Long Island, and rent this 
rent vans at Massapequa. It's called Fantastic. Any OG in the game knows Fantastic rentals because we always have to rent these vans to go on the road. And, you know, I used to get like $50, $60 per diem to go eat with like five, six guys, and those two guys are big guys. Pun was this hype man, no one really knew Pun. And we would drive all over the country and promote and do shows and go to radio stations and bring vinyl and go to schools and go to, you know, the hood and go to malls and go to retail stores because back then there was a lot of retail stores. And, you know, we put up posters and give out flyers and promote Joe's records. It wasn't push a button on Instagram or Twitter or YouTube. You know, we really had to put that grassroots work in. And, um, you know, we, we got on each other's nerves and, you know, everybody was just, you know, at it. And we just had to thug it out. There was real no money to get hotels and, you know, gang hotel rooms. But it was fun. Yeah. Um, and then Joe finally started flying and traveled the world. I used to tell Joe, there's a big world out there, you know. And then, obviously, Pun blew up and Pun would put it in my face because Pun used to always want to use my phone, my cell phone back then, and, and that would be a fortune. But he loved his family and his kids, and he wanted to call his kids and sit on the phone. And I'm like, right, i got to call radio and retail and just make shit happen. So when he blew up, he's like, ah, I can use my phone now. But, you know, it, it hurt us all. Pun was a great guy. He used to kid around a lot, um, you know. And, um, you know, I, I put him on, you know, his first real record was Fleshbone's album. I put him on with, you know, Cuban Link and Fat Joe on um, Fleshbone's record. And he was like, yo, thank you so much because Pun had that style like Bone, flipping it. Yeah. So, you, know, you know, we all went to the funeral. But, you know, I still speak to Joe all the time. He just came up from jail. You know, he showed up in L.A. for this award I was getting around BET Award weekend. And he's nice popped up on me, and he's just a great person, you know, he lost a lot of weight, he's a worker, he don't want nothing for nothing, he works, I'm glad him and 50 got back talking and, you know, mended their beef through the Chris Lighty death, unfortunately, it happened that way, we didn't want it to happen that way, but, you know, at least they talked, and, you know, 50, I know 50 from Jam Master J when 50 was discovered, so, I'm just happy, but I love Joe, and Joe, I consider Joe a friend, you know, like, I have people in the industry, they're like, okay, you're your friend, but it's more business. Joe's a friend. He's a real guy, you know? We've ate together. We've cried together. We've laughed together. We've done a lot of shit together, you know? Uh, you brought up 50 Cent. It just crossed my mind that uh, I remember back in the day when I would, like, start getting into hip-hop, like, way back in middle school. Um, I think uh, it was about 50 Cent and J Master J, and they were saying how 50 Cent caused the death of J Master J. It's J Master J, but I never believed that. What did you say? That 50 Cent was discovered by J Master J? Oh, he was. I know that. No, he was the cause of the death. Of nah, no, nah, no. Nah. I mean, look, I know 50 before he had anything, and, you know, Jay developed him and did a deal with him. You know, I 50 blew up so quick, and then, you know, obviously that Jay had passed. But I might have ran into 50 Cent two or three times through his whole major career, and you couldn't get close to the guy because he had so much security. And yes. when I did get close to him, I think it was once or twice out of those three times. One I remember was in Florida for the BET spring break. I happened to be with Bone, I, and I went into a room, and he was there, and he showed me number of love. He's like, come on, of course I know who you are. Um, and then he did that song with Man, my artist Man, buzzing, and he didn't even know that Man was my artist and my name was in the song. He just got on it because Interscope Tone was a hot record in L.A., and I ran into him at this YG performance in the back of the key club. Like, Steve, what up? I said, yo, says, man, you got on the record. He's like, what? Oh, shit, I didn't even know what the kid looked like. I didn't know you had nothing to do with it. And, and then he was just like, and he was like, yo, let's shoot. And he called me about two days later. He's like, yo, I want to shoot a video for this. I'm like, we are. He's like, well, I'm down. So, yeah, I put me on the phone with Chris Lighty. Chris Lighty, rest in peace, didn't want it to happen. And they were arguing. He's like, I want to do it. And he, and he even said to me, he's like, yo, 
please make sure Nipsey's in the video. And we called Nipsey early in the morning. Obviously, I called Nipsey a couple of days to make sure he'd come. And 50 and me would call him all morning, get him out of bed to come. And he's in the video with man in the car with the SMS headphones on him. So, you know, and, you know, I'll see 50 now more so more now. is number love, you know? Yeah. I was just, I didn't know what the deal was because there's, like, a lot of rumors. And, all uh, that. and let me just tell you something. 50 Cent had nothing to do with that. I'm not the police. I'm, I wasn't there, but I just have a gut feeling. You know when you go with your gut that 50 had nothing to do with this? And why would he? You know, at the end of the day, I salute 50. I respect 50. I love when I watch his interviews. That guy is a businessman. That guy knows how to talk. That guy knows how to, to just do business. And he's proven it over and over. And now he's back with all these big records. And he's been gone for five years. He's just a strategic guy. And, uh, and he just knows what he's doing. I salute that guy. He's a real guy. And like I said, I know these people. If they were fake, I wouldn't be talking like this. I wouldn't be complimenting or saluting somebody if I felt like they were full of shit or fake, you know? You know how it is. There's a lot of fiction online. And when you're first starting to listen to hip-hop that way back in the day, you see all these rumors. You of course. Know. But back in the days, we didn't have this online shit. So I'm talking facts to you. Like you said, you saluted me for my interviews with 50.com and Peter Rosenberg. At the end, I'm giving you facts, you know. Only God knows the truth who killed Jam Master J and the person who did it. But 50 ain't got nothing to do with that. It just seems shady, the whole thing. I, I didn't think he had something to do with it, but, like, the whole the whole situation was just, it just seemed sad and bad. But on uh... It's sad and bad like you can't imagine. Like, you know, Jay was my man, my friend, my mentor. Like, you know, it, it it's sad. You know, I got a weird call the other day. Someone just called me out the blue. I haven't spoken to in a decade. Oh, yeah, I'm going I'm, I'm to let everybody know who did it. I'm like, come on. Like, it's just, it's like... Who knows? You know what they always say, the truth always comes out. You know, I was talking to Jay Sonny the other day. I'm like, whoever did it, did it, and the truth comes out, we'll know. If not, he's gone, he's in heaven, and we got to keep his name alive. Um, yeah, as you said, you were interviewed Peter Ro by Peter Rosenberg and Cypher Sounds. I interviewed Cypher, and he told me some wild big pun stories about the gun on his stomach because uh, he wouldn't take a shot with big pun because he doesn't drink, and so he had to take the shot, Cypher. Um, I thought that was funny. Didn't you influence or mentor Cypher Sounds? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I put it this way. I mean, he was an uh, intern for me, and he used to always come up to Relativity and stuff and get records. And, um, you know, I just watched his growth. And um, we stayed in contact, like, you know, a, a, a portion of percentage of people I met through the music industry. And um, whenever he comes to L.A., he's out to me and... Um, he does this improv show, and I've helped him a couple of times. We got Be Real from Cypress Hill. We got Corrupt for him. I set up some interviews for him. I recently went to New York, and he had me come out and tell stories at his improv show. And as funny as it is, he's coming out here next week for his birthday, and I'm throwing a big party at the supper club for him, and I'm hosting it. And I set up some interviews while he came out here, and I'm doing a little clothing line with him. So, like, you know, we stay in touch. Like, I'm the guy who moved out here from the East Coast, so... Anybody who knows the East Coast knows me, then they're going to call me when they come out of it because they know I've been out of it for 20 years and I got the connections. So, you know, I love him. I'm proud of him. And um, he's like a little brother to me, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a good story. Um, also, you guys, well, he doesn't. I know you don't really either. You guys don't do drugs or drink. Um, isn't that hard? Uh, I mean, to be honest with you, you know, I used to go to junior high school. Someone told me, like, yo, smoke a cigarette and you'll be cool. I'm like, I'll punch you in your mouth and I'll be cool. So, I never was addicted to any drugs. I never did no drugs. I was addicted to sugar, you know, Snicker bars, Mountain Dew. That's kept my drive going. Um, I hate cigarettes. Um, I can't knock anybody who does that. I just don't like cigarettes, weed. I drink maybe on New Year's Eve. I might have a Bally's on a long, long trip. I think maybe because when I was like 11 or 12 years old, I was washing my dirt bike and it was hot as hell out. 
And you know when you watch a beer commercial, it looks good. And yeah. it was, there was a low brow there. It was ice cold. I, I was like, you know what? Shit, I'm 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 thirsty. I'm sweating. And I drank, and it gave me a bad reaction. Maybe that. I don't know, because I used to own clubs and bars and restaurants. I hate it. I hate what it does to people. But to believe it or not, the fr- I smoked weed one time in my life, and I did it three years ago. I did it with Man and Jam Master J's son. We were in Amsterdam, and we were in a coffee shop, and they were smoking. And like, come on, Steve, come on. Like, nah, nah, no one could peer pressure me. So I was just drinking some milkshakes. And they're like, come on. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck it, I'll do it. I'm like, your dad in heaven, Jay, would love it. You know, I'm going to do it. And I did it, and all it did was make me laugh. And they were like, you should do it more. You laugh. You're, you're a funny guy. And I was so I just kept getting, like, hungry. So I kept drinking milkshakes, and I said, let's go eat some ice cream and some caramel waffles. And we had to go get Chinese food. I was just hungry, hungry, hungry. And I couldn't go to sleep. And it was good because I had a long 16-hour flight back to where I was going. So I crashed out. It was like the worst high. And um, they tweeted it. And then Nipsey and Crazy Bone and Lazy Bone, like, man, all these years you've been on us and you're going to smoke with these guys? Like, wow, we wanted to experience that. And I was like, sorry, you know? How did you know you didn't catch a contact high before if they smoke in the studio? Did they just respect you? And just I've been around so many artists, and I'm sure I caught a contact high, but it never affected me, like, smoking it with these guys in Amsterdam. Yeah. It's funny. I'm going to tell you another crazy story. I-, I love sweets. And there were these brownies in my house. And, and I have an assistant that stays with me. And basically, you know, the brownies were there, um, and I started eating them. I had about three of them. And I was driving, at that time I had a truck, a Range Rover. I was driving to Ayers. You know Ayers, right? Hello? Yeah, yeah, Ayers. Ayers is my pop's, pop singer, so from Tortoli. He had a big hit replay. So I was going to a photo shoot, like 30 minutes from my house. Um, he was having a photo shoot that morning. So I'm driving on the freeway. And my whole body's like feels like I'm having a heart attack. I'm like, what the fuck's going on here? So I called my girl at the time, and I'm like, babe, I feel crazy. Like, what did you eat this morning? Like, ah, a couple of brownies. She's like, what brownies? So the brownies on the counter. Like, what? Those are weed brownies. I'm like, no fucking way. So I, I thought I was having a heart attack. I had to pull over, and then I was like, you know what? Let me just get through. I was going, and I got there, and I is back then. It was like three, four years ago. We had like a flip cams. How they were in. And he started filming, you know, it was just laughing and laughing. and had bagels. Like, it was a photo shoot, so it had, like, a spread of bagels for breakfast. And I had about a dozen bagels. I was high as a kite. So that's so, and it's funny, because edibles, you know, I didn't know. So now, you know, when I'm around Bone Thugs, they have so many different edibles, like cheesecake, lollipops, candy. I'm like, they know I like sweets. Like, here, here, don't tell me it's edibles. I'm like, I don't trust you. I'm not fucking with it. So I watch, you know, what I do now when it comes to all that stuff, because I can't take the reactions to nothing, you know? Definitely get a body high when you have the weed brownies and a regular high. When the yeah, I'm addicted to making money and being successful and uh, and being happy and just helping people. You know, like I tell people, money comes and goes, but history stays. That's why I keep making history. You know? Yeah, exactly. I don't even. I don't. I don't like smoking. I panic when I smoke. Yeah, I don't think Cypher does nothing at all. You know? And uh, so, what do you do when you're in a bad mood or stressed out? Like you go, like you know what I mean. A lot of rappers take uh, alcohol. They, they drink or they yeah. smoke. I mean, you know, I'm not a rapper. I'm stressed out a lot dealing with the business. You know, I like to I like to get massages. Um, you know, I try to go horseback ride and go to the gun range. Um, and honestly, like, I'm an emotional person, so, like, when I'm stressed out, I just, I just, like, you know, just get it all out and talk about it and flip and stuff. But there's a lot of stress, you know. Um, you know, I, I really recently started meditating. Russell told me to start meditating and, uh, I just try to, like, I change a lot, and I have a lot more patience for the bullshit, you know? 
Chester Stillness. I'm sorry? Chester Stillness, Russell Simmons' new book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just went the other day, he gave me a book, signed it and stuff. But, you know, there's different things. You know, there's a lot of stress in this music industry. Yeah. Is there a such thing as true artist development anymore? Um, Not that I know of, especially at the labels. They just want to sign stuff that's got already the work done or they don't want to... They don't want to spend the money no more. But artists that I deal with, you know, I try to. But you know, a lot of artists don't want to want to work hard. They don't want to, you know, you know, grind. They just want to do social media and think that's the way they're going to be successful. So the game is missing it. You know, like I miss the uh, conferences we used to have, like Jack the Rapper, Mix Your Power Summit, Urban Network. How can I be down? The Gavin Convention. So I try to do a reworking convention now, where I showcase, you know, independent artists and try to bring people from the industry to get to meet them and see them. And Urban Network just came back and will be speaking in San Diego in two weeks on a panel about hip-hop. So I feel like artist development is not really there no more. The artists out right now, they're just building their buzz off the Internet, you know? So what are your least favorite things about the uh, industry today and favorite things? Um, you know, my least favorite thing about the industry is that, you know, a lot of people are fake in the industry. And, you know, all I got is my word and my balls. I'm going to say I'm going to do something, I do it. A lot of people tell you one thing and then they don't do it. They don't keep their word, and 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 it's just full of shit. And um, my favorite thing about the industry is that, you know, I, I I get to see the world. I get to experience different things. I get to help people that want to be helped, and I get to meet some cool people if they're cool. Because a lot of people, like I said, are not cool. Um, and um, like I'm a dinosaur, but I'm fossil fuel because I stay relevant. I love what I do. I have the passion. So. You know, there's cool perks. You know, it's gotten how to you know maneuver around it. You know, but I help people, I mentor people, I give back a lot, and uh, knowledge is key. You know. This is another rumor from the online community that I see a lot, and I laugh. Um, what do you say to the people that who say that the music business is satanic and it's evil, it's an evil enterprise, and all that Illuminati talk? I mean, each his own. Everybody got an opinion, man. Like, is the music industry evil? If you say evil in business sense, I, I would say yeah because a lot of these artists' contracts are fucked up. Um, a lot of these labels don't give a fuck about the artists. They just care about them when they're hot, and they don't care about them no more. But, you know, as far as the Lunati and all the other stuff, like, teachers own. Like, I grew up with five percenters, you know, like, I don't know if you know what that is, like, peace to the God, the earth, but, you know, like, it's like, it's a religion. It's whatever. Like, to teachers own, you know what I mean? Everybody's got an opinion. No one's perfect. Everybody's got an opinion. So I don't know about it. I don't investigate it. But when you say to me evil, I'm saying on the business side, some of it, yeah. But all the other stuff, I'm not in that world to even digest it and think about it. You know, a lot of stuff just a lot of stuff is just to get chit chatter. You know. No, I mean, so you never been in the studio before, and the artist is like smoking like voodoo shit or anything like that. And nah, like not, no, not no voodoo, not no voodoo shit. Just you know, weed. You know, obviously alcohol. Yeah. You know, shit like that. You know, I managed Tupac's group for years. You know, there was alcohol, weed, guns, you know. They had license to carry guns. So I've been around a lot of shit. I, I like, look, and I was the guy that was able to deal with the record companies and the corporate side and then deal with the artists in the streets and the studios and the tours. And there was not many people that was able to deal with that shit. You know, it wasn't easy. Yeah, did, out, did the outlaws really smoke two pots remains? No. You know, they, they did, um, what do you call it, uh, they cremated them and let the, you know, the remains go, you know? They said that uh, online, it said that someone in the group smoked uh, part of his remain, like his... Uh... I, I doubt it, but, you know, you never know. Maybe, 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 I don't know. Like, you know, another guy threw a bunch of real guys, 
the outlaws, you know, Edie, Castro, Fatal, Napoleon, uh, Noble, great guys, real guys, East Coast guys. It's funny because before I even worked with them, I had signed Fatal Hussein to Relativity Records for a solo album. So, you know, and then that, years later I met the outlaws and worked with them and, you know, I helped Napoleon change his life, you know, and he's another real guy. And, you know, if Pac didn't die, those guys would be humongous, but they're great guys, so it don't matter if Pac died or not, meaning if they would be big or not. They're just good people. You know, that's what I look at people to see if they're good people or not, you know? Definitely. Um, how do you how did you discover Nipsey, uh, the, the hood searching? Oh, um, you know, you know, that's a great story, man. I'm a leader, man, and I'm not a follower. Unfortunately, so many people follow. You know, it's a true fact story, and I don't care who tells you different. Get them on the phone with me. At the end of the day, Nipsey was in South Central giving out his music and doing what he was doing. You know, he's a businessman, and I love Nipsey for that. And my partner, Big U, anybody from L.A. knows who Big U is. If they don't, then they're a fraud. And a lot of people in the industry know Big U is. At the end of the day, he's just a real good guy who did 14 years in the penitentiary. He's known in L.A. for, you know, what he's done in the streets. He's a great person. And he came home from the penitentiary and he said he's from this neighborhood where he's from. And I said, cool, all right, whatever. I'm not impressed. I'm more impressed about, you know, you as a man. And he's like, you know, I want to get in the music industry. And he was doing stuff way back before he went to jail um, with Corrupt and a bunch of other people. And I said to him, bring me music. He kept bringing me music. And um, kept giving me CDs, and I had my truck at the time, and I put the CD in, and it said Slauson Boys on it. And I heard a song called Bullets Ain't Got No Name. And the mm-hmm. melody in the hook and the verses was like, wow, he's spitting some real street shit. I'm a New Yorker, but I've been in L.A., so I know what he's talking about. And the melody, it reminds me of 50 Cent, you know, because melodies, hooks are everything. So I called I call my guy, I said, yo, Big U, I love this kid, I love this CD. He's like, well, come, come back, I don't know what it is. Came back. There was a guy named Kev Mack that was with him, and Kev Mack was like, oh, that's Nipsey Hussle, Slauson Boys. I'm like, I want to see what this kid looks like. He's like, let's go to the, the liquor store in the hood. And we went there, and we took a, 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 a metal hanger, and you break the hanger apart, and in between the liquor store was a bulletproof uh, glass, and we pulled out this DVD. And we took the DVD back to the house, and we watched it. I'm like, yeah, he looks like Snoop. I'm like, I love it. I want to meet this kid. So I got in touch with him, and he pulled up in his old Cadillac by himself, Braids all, you know, messed up, white T-shirt. He's like, yo, what up, what up? And he's like, oh, you Steve Lobel. He knew me because he studied music. Um, yeah. And the people in the industry. And um, I just loved him. I'm like, yo, let's let's do business. And I'm like, I'm going to take you to every label. I believe in you, bro. So we put in the Bone Thugs. I tried movie. I got him Adidas deal at the time. And he wasn't even, nothing was going on with him. Put him into movies of Vin Rains. You know, you know, growly, slowly did all this. And then I took him to every label. And every label passed. They, they would call me after the meeting, like, yo, you by yourself? I'm like, yeah, oh, that's 60 Crips, and that's Nipsey, or that's Big U. I'm like, and? Like, you believe in the town, who cares? Like, what are you talking about? And they were all just faggots about it, and um, we just kept going. And then, you know, Sean Kingston was doing a video, and someone had a problem with his brother, and they called me to hold him down. So I called Big U to come and hold him down. And that that person was Johnny Shipe. So we went to this Me Love video shoot, and um, we held him down. Um, and at the end of the day, like, you know, we brought Nipsey to Charlie Walk, and that's how John Shapiro got involved, and that's how Nipsey got signed to Epic. But at that time, Nipsey had caught a gun case and some other type of case, and 
he was about to go to jail. I'm like, yo, let's just take this deal. And I was like, well, shit, I don't want to burn this relationship with Charlie Walk, but all right, let's do it. So we took the deal, and I believed in faith. I got him a great lawyer, and he beat the case. So he got signed to Epic, and then Epic didn't know rap music, but Charlie Walk just signed him off Nipsey's name. He liked his name. And Charlie Walk runs Universal Republic right now, which is uh, Austin Mahone, Ariana Grande, a bunch of people. And then, you know, um, after that, then, you know, we put him on a tour. We got John Shapiro involved, and then, we, you know, was Cinematic got involved. And then we started putting the mixtapes out. And it was all leverage play. But this, yeah. me and Big U did so much work and believed in him way before anybody else. And then, you know, we had him on tour with Game and uh, J-Rock. And Kendrick Lamar was J-Rock's hype man. And, you know, if you go, if you go to com and you punch in Steve Lobel and you look at the last picture, you'll see 2005, and there'll be a picture of Nipsey Hussle, White Tee with Jerry Curls. They didn't know his name. I used to bring him around the industry, and they'd be like, who is this? Like, Nipsey. But they didn't remember. I would just bring him around all the things I was doing. At that time, we were doing voter registration with Russell Simmons. So if you go on YouTube and you punch in Steve Lobel Nipsey, you'll hear Nipsey saying in Hollis, Queens, and Jam Master J, uh, his block in the pizzeria is like, Steel Bell's the first one shouted me out in the music industry. I moved him around the industry and listened to Keys to My City, third verse. He says it. My brother Sam had some time to two. Steve is cool. They say Big User Animal, Dre Pass Capital, Atlantic, Def Jam, blah, blah, blah. It's so funny because now, all these years later, the same individual call, yo, we need a record with him, or he needs to do this, he needs to do that. And I'm like, yo, a bunch of followers. You didn't believe in this now, then, but now you believe in it because of all the hard work that was done, you know? In a way, it was like 50 Cent, how he got blackballed in the industry at first because of his gang affiliation and getting shot. Yeah, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, all these people now, they're on Nipsey's dick. And, you know, yeah. Nipsey's a friend. You know, he's like a brother to me. You know, he does his own business. Me and Big U just sit back. At the end of the day, you know, I'll speak to Nipsey once in a while, like, yo, thank you for helping me feed my family and my daughter. And that's what we do. We give back. We help. We put people in the positions. But I was the leader. I wasn't the follower. I am a leader. I'm not a follower. I don't follow trends. I don't follow what other people like. If I believe in something, I'm going to run with it. Just like I told them about the Justin Bieber story. Justin Bieber came into Epic Records with Scooter. Me and Nipsey just happened to be up there. Justin Bieber was probably like 14 years old. He's playing the guitar lefty. And I'm like, those kids are amazing. I said to Scooter, you ain't getting a deal. He's like, nah, no one wants to sign him. And I, and I said, who'd you go speak to? And I called those same A&Rs. And they're like, nah, Steve, he needs Disney or Hollywood Records or some shit. And I was like, wow. And, and then he blew up. And I told all these guys, you're clowns. You, what didn't you believe in? And no one believed. That was a leverage play for L.A. Reid to sign him to Usher because no one believed in Justin Bieber. And to be honest with you, you know, I wound up going on tour with Justin Bieber with Sean Kingston and Ayers, and we laughed about it. It was like, wow, I remember when you came. And we used to, we used to talk all the time. I, when we did Masculine Garden, I told Justin Bieber, like, you just performed at Masculine Square Garden. That's Run's house. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, man, that's Run from Run DMC's house. But now the way Justin Bieber is, I can't wait to see him because – I'm going to tell him if he never made it, he wouldn't have turned into the person he is right now. And it's funny because I worked with Soldier Boy and went to uh, Coachella, and he brought this kid Khalil that hangs out with Bieber. And I said to him, like, yo, who are you? He's like, oh, hang out with Bieber. I'm like, cool. I go, I know Justin Bieber. I used to be on tour with him. He's like, well, that's the old Justin Bieber. I'm like, you don't know the new Justin Bieber. I'm like, hold on, buddy. Hold on, youngster. How old are you, 19? Well, where I'm from, money don't change no one and success don't change no one. So what are you going to tell me that's the new Justin Bieber? Like, well, he was fake. So this is what I mean about the new generation. They, they, have, they have no integrity, morals, principles. They don't even know about the music game. And they think an iPhone or Instagram is making them successful. Shit is corny to me. So, I, you, know, you know. I think that guy signed a Def Jam, too. What does he even do, that, that kid who's 19? Uh, I don't know. You know, he, he, needs, he, needs, he needs a quick check-in real quick. But at the end of the day, 
you know, that's my story with Nipsey, and, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of facts, and people know I discovered Nipsey with Big U. Nipsey was doing his thing around his little neighborhood. You know, not his little neighborhood, but he was doing around his neighborhood. And at the end of the day, like, you know, people from the East Coast were calling me, like, yo, you fucking with Nipsey? Like, wow. And for the East Coast to accept you, the last person they accepted was Game. So, you know, at the end of the day, it was big for us, and me being from New York. And um, I helped bring back the West Coast. I was just telling Joe Moses this. Nipsey helped bring back the West Coast, open the door for all these people. We've helped Mustard. We've helped YG. Um, as far as uh, Man, Man really brought the West Coast back commercially because he was making records on the radio, and he put me up to everybody that was hot. Like I said, Kendrick used to be J-Rock's hype man on tour. And, um, you know, YG, we broke him on the radio through the Buddha because he was banging on Felly on Twitter, and Felly called me, and he's like, who's this kid? And I put them on the phone, and the rest was history. You know, me and Mustard, we still continue to do business. We do these independent artist showcases. So, you know, I'm happy for these people. Like, we've helped Scheme. You know, we're helping Joe Moses right now. End of the day, like, you know, I, I like to just mentor people, tell people which directions to go and help them. And, but Nipsey, we were fully, really involved. And that's what yeah. really helped the West Coast come back, you know? With, uh, with Nipsey, it's all love, obviously, but you don't manage him anymore like that? No, nah, we, don't, we don't manage Nipsey. Nipsey manages himself. Um, um, and Nipsey uh, does what he wants to do. So we yeah. just, you know, we, do, we just do our business side of it. And, you know... We just keep it moving, you know, like, we just keep it moving, you know. You talk to Nipsey, he'll show you, he'll tell you number of love for me, you know. Nipsey's doing it all different. Like, he doesn't have commercial success, like, from a huge standpoint. He never he did. He never wanted to. He, he always wanted to stay true who he was. He, he wants to be a, a leader, not a follower. He doesn't want to make the radio happy or the label happy. He wants to make himself happy and his fans. And look what he did. He grew his fan base over the years, and he has a hardcore fan base right now. And you don't need commercial success these days to be successful. He doesn't want to sell his soul. He has integrity himself, so he's just going to continue building his fans. And he still already traveled the world. He's making money, and he's happy. As long as he's happy with himself, why you got to please someone who keeps saying like, "Well, he needs commercial success," you know? About to make that Tech Nine underground money. Yeah, I mean, look, I used to mess with Tech Nine years ago, and Insane Clown Posse, no one knew who, who they were, and they'd be like, laugh. I'm like, these guys are killing it. So, you know, look, Nipsey's got integrity, and he's just making money, and he's happy, and that's his success. And at the end of the day, he doesn't want to sell out. So, you know, you have to respect that. Look, Drake, J. Cole, Meek Mills, they all love Nipsey. They were calling us to get songs and do stuff with him. They looked up to Nipsey. So yes. they, at the end of the day, if you look at it commercially, okay, they blew past him. But at the end of the day, Nipsey has a thing, and he wants to do it his way. So I gotta say, okay, I can't force him to do something else. So we just stepped stepped away, and you know he does his own thing, you know, and we just continue to do the business and make money. But he runs his show, you know. Didn't you predict the success of YG um, with his latest album at Def Jam? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I predicted YG because he he wanted commercial success, and he never sold out. And Mustard's such a great producer, he was making big records. Like I told you. I was responsible for getting Tudor and Buddha played in L.A. at Power 106 because he was banging on Felly on Twitter, and Felly called me, and then I got him on the phone. Um, and that started a lot of it. You know, we helped Ty Dollar. You know, I yeah. brought Ty Dollar deals, you know. So at the end of the day, you know, um, I'm down for anybody who wants to work and be successful. You know, I think that YG, he still has a lot more to do, a lot more to grow. Um, but, you know, he's getting, you know, a lot of success right now. Patience but I feel about that. Let me say this. You know how I feel about the YG thing? I feel like YG and Mustard is Dre and Snoop, Timberland and Missy. 
Jay Z and Just Blaze. You know, you know. I just feel like when you have a dope producer and you have a dope artist and you have a chemistry, that that's what makes it successful. And YG's always kept the real with me. He still does. Mustard keeps the real with me. Matter of fact, Mustard doesn't live too far from me. Kid Ink lives down the block from me. I watch Kid Ink grow. So you know, I'm happy for these guys who grow and, and work who put the work in. You know, anybody wants to work and put the work in and keep their integrity and loyalty, I like that. So Drain Snoop right now, or they're gonna be Drain Snoop because they're. Oh uh, no! I mean, you know, remember when Drain Snoop got together and they worked and they did music together? It's just the chemistry. Like J.R. wrote producing for Sean Kingston and Jason Derulo and Ayers. It's the chemistry with the producer and the rapper, and that's what that's what YG and Mustard have. Yeah, and uh, patience and sacrifice equals success. You preach that. Um, would a good example of that be Kendrick Lamar starting out as J. Rock hype man and now one of the top MVPs in the game? Of course. I mean, look, nothing happens overnight. And if it does, it goes up and comes right down. So, you know, hard work pays off. Patience and sacrifice equals success. Depends how you look at success. Success could be the biggest album, the biggest artist, finding a great woman and getting married, having a child, building a house, getting a job, making a million dollars. Success is different. That's why I say money comes and goes, but history stays. A real person don't let money make them. A real person don't let a Rolex make them, a Bentley make them, a chain with a cross make them. A real person is a real man. They get stripped from everything, they're still going to be a real man. So I try to tell these kids when I do motivational speaking at these schools, hard work pays off, never take no for an answer, don't give up. Patience and sacrifice equals success. And just, you know, I don't take no for an answer, man. My, my success has been organization, communication, um, common sense, which you know common sense is not common, and yeah. um and, and patience and, and not taking no for an answer. Yeah. And you said that materialistic items, like they were they were fun at one time, but you realize that it didn't make the success that you actually appreciate the hard work and other things in life better. Well they weren't fun to me. Like, you know, materialistic things don't make me. Like you know, I had to work for my first bicycle, my first car, my dad said work for it. You know, fake people let materialistic things make them. But at the end of the day materialistic things doesn't make a person, and money does not buy love. Money does not buy happiness. You know, yeah. and I tell you that I learned the hard way, and that's why I tell people that family is the most important thing, and I learned it the hard way. You know, you all say it like, you know, family, family, but you neglect family when you're chasing your dreams or you're running around trying to do things. And, I, you know, I try to just keep going, and I'm writing my book, The Coach Lasts Longer Than the Player, and I'm going to tell a lot of stuff in my book. Um, and I just, like I said, I try to stay innovative, I'm working on something real big. I wish I could tell you, but I can't tell you till like, July um, with Damian Young, DeMizza. He used to be the program director of Power 106 um, and worked with Mariah Carey and produced a lot of big records. And, you know, I do my motivational speaking and I do uh, my showcases and I do my speaking engagements at these uh, panels. But, you know, i got to keep going, man, and keep moving, you know? Yeah. Um, before I let you go, i got some more questions. In no phone. problem. I'm with you, man. Yeah, my aunt actually was like, you should contact us. She knows I do interviews. Steve Lobel, he was on The Millionaire Matchmaker. <laughs> and uh, and I already knew about you, but I didn't know if you would have reached out to me because sometimes I get denied. You know, some people have egos or sometimes it's busy. I understand it. And uh, I was like, all right, yeah, I'll send him an email. And I sent you an email. But I already knew about you. But I just, you kind of seem intimidating. You come off like intimidating and hard. And I'm like, I don't know if you would do an interview with me. You know, but here you are doing an interview with me. Yeah, well, I'm going to tell you something. First of all, People who have egos are assholes. I'm humble. I never forget where I come from, from Queens. And it's great to give back and, and, and give knowledge back if people want to listen. And it's funny that your aunt tells you about Millionaire Matchmaker and then you watch it and you say, I come off hard. I mean, Patty Stanger called me the tough teddy bear. 
you know, people people get intimidated about me because I do come off hard. But at the end of the day, you get to know me. I'm the nice guy. I'm that sweet guy. I'm that tough teddy bear. But it's just it's just how I am. Um, and it's not an act. I'm not trying to be someone. It's just my it's just my personality. Like I'm just I just intimidating. But like I said, when people get to know me, they love me. And Patty called me the tough teddy bear. So it's funny your aunt saw you saw it, and then you reached out. But at the end of the day, why wouldn't I reach out back to you? You did. You know what? You're just like me. If I stab you or cut you, you're going to bleed red. You shit, you shower, you're going to die one day, you eat. We're yeah. all the same. We're all the same. Just people have, some people have more fame than others and more money than others. But at the end of the day, you have to give back. You have to be humble and you can't forget where you come from. So I hate people that get egos and act like that because, like I said, you go to county jail, you're going to have to be a man. Or you run into some real people, you're going to have to be a man. So all that fake shit comes out, you know? Yeah, I'm just starting a year out, so I was like, I don't know if I could get some of these industry veterans to talk to me, but it'd be awesome if I could. And, and I'm, I'm you just don't give up. You know, everything happens for a reason. If God wants it to happen, it's going to happen. You know. Um. So, who do you like on the East Coast, uh, Joey Badass? Um. I'll be honest with you. I liked Joey Badass. You know, I still like him. Um. Troy Ave. Huh? Fell off a little bit. What did you say? He fell off a little bit. I don't think he fell off. I, 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 who knows what he's going through? I, I, I just know he had a lot of momentum, but I don't see the momentum no more. But, you know, Troy Ave, you know, his producer Yankee used to work with Sean Kingston. Yankee's my guy. I like Troy Ave's hustle. My guy Nelson that used to work with 50 is working with him. Um, you know, Slowbucks are my little nephews. Um, these kids out of uh, Queens, Hollis, actually. Um, Rich Fly G's. So, you know, on East Coast, you know. Bronson? Oh yeah, yeah. That's my little homie from the hood, from Flushing. He he's, he he knew one of my my guys who passed away. Yeah, I like Action Bronson. He's real humble, real cool. I like him. Thank you for reminding me that. What do you think of Fifty Cent saying that Troy? He did a lot of himself in Troy Ave. In a way, though, it was kind of it wasn't a diss, but he was saying that Troy Ave needs to. Yeah, that interview. You know why? Because you know Tony Ayo's running with him. Um, but look, anybody could be influenced. You know, if Troy's influenced on Fifty. That's a good thing. Because 50 is a good influence. He hustled. He put out mixtapes. He changed the game with the mixtapes. He represented New York to the fullest. So, you know, like, I don't know if he should have said it the way he did it, but at the end of the day, like, if Troy looks up to him, like, why not? Like, people have to have mentors. We talked about at the beginning of the interview. Yeah, that's true. And uh, what about the dopest story you have, like, memorial, uh, good moments on the road, like touring at concerts and whatnot? Man, oh, shit, you got a ton of them, probably, but just like I got, I got hit in the head in the Louis Vuitton store at uh, Kanye's birthday party, which is public record online. My memory's not the best. Like, I got a lot of times of stories, man. Just like, you know, the story. You know, we were in North Carolina with Run DMC a long time ago, and it was this little bar club, and the van was parked through the promoter, and all hell broke loose, and me and my man Mustafa stood on the table like we were Karate Kid acting like we martial art expert and just try to get everybody out to get in the van and get the fuck out of there. You know, it's just, man, it's so many stories, man, with Bone and the Outlaws. Like, I don't even know. Like, I I got so many stories, man, just going on a road with Fat Joe and we just be in the van and just, you know, stopping and eating McDonald's. There's, there's so much shit I really can't knock it down. I'm saving a lot of stuff for my book, you know? Is there money to be made? Like the money you made back in the 90s with hip-hop, is there the same money to be made right now with hip-hop? There's money to be made in branding, publishing, and touring and merchandise now. 
back then there was so much money to be made in, in, in record sales. You know, don't forget it was a physical CD, $12, $17. You know, you make a lot of money. Now it's like everything's free, everything's online. So the artists are making the money off the publishing and touring, and like I said, you know, all the ancillary stuff and merchandise. Yeah. They say some of the labels aren't doing good now in hip-hop. No, not at all. Not at all. They're they're living off the catalogs, you know? So what's the future of that? Like, it's hard to get in that industry. I was looking into it. Yeah, it's very hard to get in the music industry or even get a job. Uh, You know, I feel like social media and internet really hurt it. But, uh, you know, what's the future shit? I wish I knew me and you'd be on a deserted island right now, filthy rich. Um, I don't know what the future is, man. The future is uh, artists is going to keep, you know, there's so many artists now. Everybody's a rapper, singer, producer, director, writer. You know, it's saturated because now everybody around the world can get discovered. I don't know what's going to happen, man. You know, uh, I wish I knew. What about but, what, what's the future of Hot 97, Tower 105.1, Tower 106? Oh, yeah, I got I got the future, bro, but I can't tell you that right now. I told you around July you'll hear about it. That, is that digital content, like a lot of videos being put up? on the, I see that. Can't tell you. Can't tell you. But what do you think about radio, though, the future in New York City, at least? Because I've, I've applied to... Um, you know, look, I'm cha- I'm going to change the game with Damian Young in July But when it comes to that. But to be honest with you, like New York City, you got Ebro, who's a friend of mine who's not even from New York. He's he's the program director, and he's trying to give people opportunity to play New York music. But there was a time that people felt like the music in New York wasn't quality, and it's quality over quantity. I feel like the biggest problem in New York radio is that they didn't support enough New York artists for the last 10 years. Yeah, obviously. You come to L.A., and they're playing L.A. artists, new artists, other artists. The South did that. And that was the problem with New York radio, you know, and, and that's the biggest problem. Radio dictates from the label what they want to play or make a single, and it shouldn't be like that, and it's not even happening like that no more because there's people like in L.A., like Justin Credible, L.A. Leakers, they're playing stuff off mixtapes. They're playing stuff that they want to play, you know? Ebro blamed people want to hear Future and people from the South or people from New York want to hear South music. He blamed that for a while. Yeah, because you know what? A lot of people in New York, they get in their own cliques and they hate on the next clique and they don't want to they don't want to support each other, and that's the biggest problem. New Yorkers need to come together and support each other, and that's what I always try to tell everybody, but they don't. And look, if Bloods and Crips, enemies, enemy neighbors can get together and do stuff like a YG and Nipsey and so on and so forth, then why can't New York just fucking... B1, yeah. you know, and I, I love Mano. He's on his grind. I'm waiting to see what Remy Ma says when she comes home from jail, you know, fucking Big Sun, Big Punch, Sun's trying to do some stuff, Papoose, underrated, you know. You know, I love MCs. There's a difference between rappers and MCs. You yeah. know, I love Common. I love Nas. I love Pac. I love J. Cole, people that got meaning. You know, I love Alicia Keys, Bruno Mars, you know, John Legend. I love substance, you know. I might edit this part out, but... Recently, I applied to the Hot 97 program director position. Like, I'm not qualified, but I applied to it, and they actually called me, and I had two phone interviews so far. Because Ebro's leaving. Ebro's just a personality now. Yeah, well, he had to do that because of the TV show. He took the TV show over being a program director. I would have took the program director and being TV, you know? Yeah, but I've only been on a radio station for a year at a college radio, and I got all these acts that come up like... Hey, God is great, man. You never know. It's all about... Finding a new person that's innovative and creative, and that's what I like to do. I keep young people around me. And that's what I say to you. Like, I love, I, I'm a leader, not a follower. And if someone's going to lead and hire you, then they're leaders, man. So I, I love that. Well, it's tough to even get in these buildings because I, I got, I know I, I had the, 
I got rejected by Sway for the internship and Funk Flex, the digital one. Yeah, of course you're going to get, you know, of course. But you know what? Whatever, you, whatever you turn away, you're going to get something positive. So it's just all, it's just all about the grind and the hustle. God can't just give it to you. Everything's written. Everything God's hands is meant to be. It's going to meant to be. And you know what? Talking about TV, you know, I did Missy Elliott's reality show back in the days in 2004, Road to Stardom. We were on every week. And yes. Yellow Wolf, believe it or not, was on there. No one even knows that. And then I did another reality show in 07, Magic Celebrity. This is way before social media. And then Millionaire Matchmaker reached out to me last year. I did it. And it was based, I took the date to the Jam Master J Scratch Academy. I incorporated hip-hop. And I went back and did it again this year. And, um had my dad on it, and now a couple other big shows are reaching out to me. I shot a sizzle for my own show. Uh, basically, I'm more manish, I'm more Colt 45 than Manischewitz, meaning I'm, hard, I'm more hard than soft. And, um, you know, I shot a sizzle. I got some networks interested, and I got some other shows reaching out to me to do some TV. People feel like I'm TV. People feel like I'm creative. I got personality. So now yeah. I'm a celebrity manager. I do a lot of interviews. I do a lot of red carpet events, uh, a bunch of shit. Because, you know, I've been around and I'm relevant. I'm hosting Cypher's birthday with the youngest, hottest person in L.A. next next Tuesday. So so it's all good, you know? Yeah, I know. I actually know someone who's going to be there. It's a, I know Rosenberg's assistant, Hip Hop Mike. He's around my age. Oh, he's in L.A.? Well, he's going with Rosenberg. It's his assistant, yeah. In L.A.? Peter's going to be out there? Oh, yeah, Peter Rosenberg's going to be out there because I saw they're, doing, they're trying to do the uh, the Juan Epstein shit in L.A., you know? So I'll see him. Yeah, it's all good. Tell him to, tell him to approach me, you know? All right, yeah, I'll tell him. I mean, it, it's it's hard because when you, like, for instance, I'm not in the radio game. Like, I'm trying to get in. So, like, when you reach out to those guys, it's like you're trying to use them or, like, fuck this kid or not, like, fuck them, but, like. But you know what? They have a bad attitude because you, you, when people reach out to you, they shouldn't do that. You know what? On that note, you I'm going to set up a meeting that you do an interview with Damian Young. Damian Young was, uh, was the program director of Power 106 and Hot 97 for 10 years and 32 stations in between. He was number three in the sauce. He managed Mariah for a minute, and he and he produced a lot of records. It's funny that you said that you went on a, uh, a, a interview for Ebro's job because Ebro's not the program director of Hot 97 no more because of the, the show. And you said they called you back twice right now. You say that you worked at a radio station for a year, and you're asking me a lot of questions about radio, and I wish I could answer them because in July you're going to be calling me like, wow, I can't believe what the fuck you and Damian Young just did. So I'm going to put you with Damian Young. And you should do your homework on him, and all your questions should be based around radio. Because yeah. you're, you're saying to me, Steve, I've been interviewed twice for Ebro's job. I know all these people, and people I'm reaching out to Peter Rosenberg and all that, denying me. But meanwhile, MS Communications interviewing me. These people have no idea. That's why you might have the last laugh. That's why you never judge no one. You never treat someone like shit because you never know if they're going to be your boss one day. You get it? Yeah. Man, you're giving me motivation here. And I interviewed Sex for Sounds. He was really nice, and I talked to his manager about like working with him or interning and stuff, and they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I heard he already had it. Said, who'd, you, who'd you talk to? Uh, Jamal. Yeah, Jamal's my guy. I'll talk to Jamal. But well, he's got assistants already, you know what I mean? It's tough. It doesn't matter. I'll talk to him. Who's the program director of Hot 97 right now? No, oh, it's, it's, it's just, they're just looking. It's just looking at e, they're Ebro right now, and then uh, nobody right now. But Ebro can't do it because he took the TV job. I would never take the TV job. I mean, cool. All right, no, it's all good, bro. So what else? Any other questions? Uh, I was going to ask you... Um, That's funny about your aunt. Your aunt told me a millionaire matchmaker. She was very intimidating, and then me and you were talking. It's funny. Yeah, it's funny how it works out. And I think maybe Carrie Hu- Car- Carly Hustle is probably doing Ebro's job right now. But I, I, I'm not, I have confidence in stuff, but I don't think I'm 
qualified because it says five to seven years of radio experience, and I'm only on a, a year, but I got like all these people that come over. Like I said, if someone believes in you and they just love your attitude and your creativity, it don't matter how many years of experience you got because Damien Young was hired and, and didn't have a lot of that. So it's all in God's hands. Competitive, it's tough to talk to the people who are assistants with to uh, certain people and tell them what's going on because they don't, one, they don't give a fuck, and two, they use it. You know what I mean? They're like, this kid's trying to use me, but I'm not. I'm a good kid. Right. But, uh, Keys of success in the music industry, five tips to help, you know, like people out, um, you know, give the people uh, some good advice that you learned throughout the years. And All right. All right. Well, the five tips I'm going to say, and, I, and I, I say this repeatedly, and I, and I stay consistent. I don't follow. I don't change. I stay consistent in my words. Patience. That's number one. Number two, not don't take no for an answer. Number three, learn the business. No one's learning the business side of it. You get it? No one's learning that side. You know, something I just learned and taught myself since my mom passed, balance. Yeah. Have balance. You know, and then education and knowledge is key. Learn, educate yourself, who's who, so we don't have to say hip-hop don't know you. You know what I'm saying? Um, with the business side, you're talking about, like, everything, like... I mean, business side, the business side, learn, learn the game, knows who... Be focused. Be responsible. Yeah. Say what you say and do what you say. I mean, that's it. Like, I'm self-taught. I'm self-educated. There's no silver spoon here. Yeah. That's um, it. I want you to tape this real quick. You still taping? Yeah, I'm going to tape it. I'll tape yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, basically, I want everybody to look out for my book, The Coach Lasts Longer Than The Player. Everybody needs to get a mentor. You know, my Instagram is we working with a G because that's all I do is work because I have the passion I love what I do. Um, my, my Twitter is at Steve Lobel. Facebook, Steve Lobel. My company is A to Z Entertainment because I do everything from A to Z. And I appreciate you having me. And everybody needs to, you know, know that God is great and put yourself in God's hands. Never judge anybody by the color of their skin or their race or their religion or their position because somebody could be your boss tomorrow. And you treat everybody with respect um, and never judge anybody. And what's yeah. your shout-out now? Uh, Mike Sweeney, Keep It Basement Radio. Who? Queenie, Keep It Basement Radio. Hold on a second. So you want me to shout out Mike Sweeney? Or, or What, are you Jewish? Uh, no, I'm actually not. No, I'm not Jewish. Would it be better if, you, well, if I told you I was Jewish? Oh, no, you're a white kid, right? Yeah, white. Yeah, I'm white. Oh, no, I'm just trying to Sweeney. I know some people. All right, so basically, you want me to shout out Keep It Basement, right? Mike Sweeney, Keep It Basement, at the Sweenes. That's my name, the Sweenes. That's what I call myself. Okay. Yo, what's up? This is Steve Lobel, CEO of the 80s Entertainment. We working. I want to shout out Keep It Basement with Mike Sweeney. Yep, that's good. That's good.